This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. I was particularly pleased to be asked to speak here and to come on this event because it is the 40th anniversary. Um, it is a 40th anniversary celebration of Padmaloka. And my first winter retreat, my first long retreat, was in the winter of 76-77. Uh, I'd been uh, involved with the FWBO at that time for maybe not more than three months, and I came on retreat here for three weeks. And uh, it was a turning point. During that retreat, I asked to be a mitra, become a mitra. And I'd come along to the Norwich Buddhist Centre at the end of September of 1976. And uh, in those days, uh, already, as up higher uh, said, even by 1972, the movement was getting larger and the kind of personal contact, um, perhaps for quite a lot of the early order members, if not all, that was possible, was not possible. So definitely I come from a later generation where we didn't sort of bump into Bante, sort of at classes. Uh, he wasn't there. But actually, he was. And this is the start of my story. And this is actually the start of my story in the, in the movement. Because when I went along to the Norwich Buddhist Centre at the end of September 1976, the class was following the usual format of so many classes in those days, not all classes, but there was a meditation, tea break, and then we listened. We sat around and we listened to a recorded lecture by Sangharakshita. And that lecture was, this was my first visit. This is, I had no visit to any Buddhist centre before. Uh, I, came, I came along because that summer I had been uh, um, invited by a friend of mine who was a lecturer in philosophy at the university where I was studying, University of East Anglia, UEA, he had invited me for tea. And staying with him was an order member called Deva Mitra, uh, who had come to Norwich to look for a property to start a centre. And we'd had a long talk into the evening. I had thought about it a bit, then forgotten about it. And then about two months later, I bumped into Deva Mitra in Norwich and he said, we've just started a centre, why don't you come? So, I felt great. Uh, I, was I was 21 years old. I thought, great, go along. So, after the meditation and the tea break, say something about the tea break in a moment, actually, um, there was this lecture, The Meaning of Spiritual Community. And that lecture... That was the lecture for me, no doubt. And uh, when I came to think about this talk and Bante's vision of the order, 
it was apparent to me, it is apparent to me, that all of that vision is contained within that lecture. <coughs> in order to prepare this lecture, I read through the chapter in Subhuti's wonderful, excellent book on Sangharakshita. <coughs> um, what, what is it called? Uh, A New Voice. I read through the chapter on the Sangha. There were a few um, elaborations that I picked up, but basically it, it is contained in that lecture. The Meaning of Spiritual Community, which actually is the third lecture in the book Human Enlightenment. It was a lecture given in 1975 in New Zealand. A series, the third one, Meaning of Spiritual Community. I also, yesterday afternoon, I read through um, the 2009 um, interview with Bhante, What is the Western Buddhist Order? Although I'm pretty familiar with it, I read through it. And um, although, and I will refer to it later, there are some uh, elaborations or there are some implications drawn out there, uh, the essence of it, of the vision, of the meaning of spiritual community, is in that lecture, which was given in 1974, which is not to say that Bhante didn't have that in his own vision from the start. And in fact, there are probably earlier lectures the individual, the group, and the spiritual community probably predates that uh, lecture. In fact, I'm sure it does. Yeah. Um, a couple of things. First of all, uh, at the tea break, I actually thought that Sangharachita was there. When we came down to the tea break, I actually thought he was there because I looked across and there was an older man looking rather um, sort of um, dignified and present. And I don't remember exactly, but probably I asked him, are you Sangharachita? And no doubt he said no. And that man was Apaya. <laughs> and I worked out that Apaya was coming up to his 40th birthday. And to me, he was, you know, he was like sort of... Um, we were all uh, uh, in our twenties, actually, and uh, so Abhaya very pleasantly said, "No, I'm not Sangharish." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the other thought is, in our study group, in our discussion group yesterday, we were talking about discipleship, and we were talking about um, those who have met Bante, those who have not met Bante, and. Um, Actually, even if we have not met Bhante um, personally in the uh, in the body, um, well, I met Bhante that evening through his voice, uh, through listening to him. I had an immense impact. Even within a week, I was saying to a friend, "Whatever this is, I know this is going to be significant." And I, I knew nothing about Buddhism. I, I don't have time to go into why I knew, except that it touched me. And definitely uh, there was a touch of the um, what we would call the transcendent. There was something there that touched me. And uh, we were saying, in fact, I said in the group, as regards, well, you may not have met Bhante. Well, we haven't met the Buddha. We didn't meet the Buddha, did we? In the flesh. He... he uh, 
he died uh, more than two and a half thousand years later, uh, 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 since, uh, uh, um, uh, previously. So it is not necessary to meet Bhante in the flesh, to meet him in another way. Uh, there are already many order members around the world, especially in India. We were talking about this, Sanganatha is in the group with me, who had never met Bhante, and they do not question um, um, their connection with him, um, their personal connection with him. And of course, in the future, um, Bhante will die. He's 90, but he will die. And our movement surely will go on with a personal connection that all who follow will feel with Bhante. So although it's um, great, even a blessing, to even to be uh, alive when Bhante is alive, because even actually if you have not met Bhante, he is alive now, so there's a kind of connection, kind of mental connection that we can have, and no doubt that will continue and can continue after he dies. So, I'm going to base the talk on uh, elements of what Bhante says there in the meaning of spiritual community, and then go to one or two other references, and also some practical expressions of what we actually do as order members. In that sense, what is life like in the order? I think most of this, much of this, you might know, but there's no apology for that. Um, one thing that really struck me listening, I re-listened to the talk um, just um, a couple of weeks ago, and one thing I would say is, is a, I found a big difference listening to the talk and reading the edited version. For one thing, a lot of things are missed out in the edited version, uh, in terms of the context <laughs> And secondly, well, you're just hearing Bhante. So listening to talk, one of the things that struck me is very early on in the talk, Bhante talks, because he's talking about the meaning of spiritual community, so he asks, what is meant by spiritual? Bhante's always really emphasised the importance of um, rectification of terms to, to understand the meaning of words. And here he says, but by spiritual, <coughs> he means... Um, that which is uh, the development of skillful, skillful mental states. Well, we could say mental states and and acts of speech and body. So spiritual is equivalent to skillful. Spiritual is equivalent to skillful. So, in a way, here we have our answer. What is the order? The order is a community of people who live together skillfully. It's as simple as that. That is what the order is. We are a community of people striving to relate to each other on the basis of the ten precepts. Five precepts will do, actually, because if you take the five precepts fully, um, even you will get to the ten precepts, but they are much more sort of fully elaborated in the ten precepts that you will formally take at the time of ordination if you're not ordained. So, the spiritual community is a life-expressive 
are those living a life expressive of skillful mental states. And here I took an, a quotation from a lecture that Bhante gave in 1978. Surita talked about in the middle years, well, the kind of early middle years, I think that's true, kind of early middle years, 1978 onwards, after the order had been founded 11 years. Um, so, speak, this is Bhante, speaking in, in an ordinary sort of way, leaving aside transcendental things, Positive emotion is the lifeblood of the order. You probably heard that. If there's no positive emotion in the order, there is no life in it at all, and no life, therefore, in the movement. So the development of positive emotion in each one of us and in all of us, in association with one another, is absolutely crucial. And also in this lecture... Bhante talks about meditation as an uninterrupted flow of skillful mental thoughts. So he spells it out. It's not necessarily or not just when we're meditating, in meditation, form of meditation. The uninterrupted flow of skillful mental thoughts is when we're sitting, when we're standing, when we're walking, and whatever else we may be doing. That is the order. That's what you've asked to join, if you have asked to join. <coughs> now last week, uh, um, Guhya Vajra, some of you will know Guhya Vajra, I uh, went to see Bhante. Bhante is very well these days, I'll say a little bit more at the end about that. Very well, and um, he's able to see um, people quite regularly, 15, 20, 30 minutes, sometimes longer. And uh, in discussion with Bhante, Bhante said something that uh, I checked with Guya Vajra. Oh, do you think this is for repeating? And he said, well, he did ask Bhante to repeat it, and Bhante repeated it to him twice. <laughs> and this is something Bhante had been thinking about, and it is this. Bhante said that for every ounce of insight, we need a tonne of shamatha. For every ounce of insight, we need a ton of shamatha. So in a metric, I don't know, for every gram of insight, we need several thousand or whatever it is, kilograms, huh? tons of uh, shamatha. And what is shamatha? Shamatha is positive emotion. It is integration. It is metta. That is what shamatha is. It's not sort of one-pointed concentration in the dry sense. It is full of metta. And it is also, that is what enables us to go for refuge. That is what enables us to be wholehearted. So that's insight needs to be within that context. No time, well, A, no time to go into this more, and secondly, with these kind of aphorisms of Bhante, there's so much to be mined. So what Bhante meant by that? That's for all of us to think about. Yeah, okay. So, returning to the lecture. <coughs> Bhante says that um, in the lecture, The Meaning of Spiritual Community, that uh, as we lead a spiritual life, 
we tend to leave the world behind. A lot in that. That's to do with renunciation. So you can't go into the order, you can't go into the spiritual community without coming out of the world. Coming out of the world could mean coming out of the world in terms mentally, in terms of certain attitudes. For example, consumerism, just to take one, just to make it less abstract. Um, or it could mean literally, and actually it's probably, well, it needs to be both. It needs to be something of both, something uh, mentally, emotionally, and something literally. Literally, for example, we were on retreat. We came here, didn't we? We turned off our mobile phones, didn't we? Turned off all our gadgets for four days, five days. So we've left the world behind. It's a lot there. And, and otherwise, we cannot join the order. Otherwise, we cannot, even for a moment, in a sense, be in a spiritual community. Don't take that literally. It doesn't mean an order member can't use their mobile phone. It doesn't mean we're on retreat all the time. But the ability to go into that kind of mode, <coughs> both um, within activity and in actuality, uh, when we're active, and also at times come to the country or something like that. So, um, now Bhante, it's our great good fortune, as Bhante says in the lecture, that when we go forth, we find, yeah, kind of renunciation, you give up something, you go forth, um, as, 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 as Bhante uh, talks and as preceptors talk in the time of the ordination, you go forth, we're fortunate to go forth into something. That's what the public organ, ordin, uh, ordination represents. <coughs> and we, because of Bhante, we can go forth into an order. And there are a whole number of lessons that Bhante learned in India and uh, also when he came back from India, 1964 to 1967, uh, before he started the movement, which informed how he has set up our order. <coughs> you can read, uh, I recently, uh, over the last few months, have been uh, uh, mostly rereading, Moving Against the Stream. Abhaya mentioned that. Yeah. So that's an excellent uh, volume of memoirs, uh, Bhante's time in uh, in England, as well as a bit travelling in Greece and so on, 1964 to 1967. And actually there you can read about the first retreats he led even before the FWO. Uh, very, very fascinating, like uh, how he first engaged with um, Buddhists in, uh, um, in England, the Buddhist movement. But Bhante learned things then, and he'd already learned things in his 20 years in India. Uh, and in setting up the order, he wished to uh, uh, avoid the identification with monasticism that he found in the Theravada. He didn't want that. He also wished to avoid the identification with uh, ordination as the taking of the Bodhisattva vow which he found uh, with uh, often in the Mahayana, which he concluded was unrealistic and was in danger of being hypocritical because um, as an ordination, um, to start off with that as your basic ordination 
to say, I now take the Bodhisattva vow, is in danger of being more words than actual um, sort of uh, commitment. So, further than that, looking at the texts, Bhante could see that at the time of the Buddha, uh, often it's taught that there are four <coughs> kinds of persons, four kinds of persons who, in the slightly archaic language, shed luster on the Sangha. Shed, I think that means light on the Sangha. Who actually were capable of wisdom and insight and ethical purity. And these were the bhikkhus and the bhikkhunis, the lay people, both men and women. So Bhante set up an order that equally was for all these four possibilities. Uh, initially, he thought there might even be a monastic monastics within the order. Fairly soon he dropped that. But of course, <coughs> we do have the option within the order, even encouraged, for different kinds of lifestyles, including what we usually call a semi-monastic lifestyle, where you can uh, live like that, as well as living in families, um, and so on. But uh, Bhante certainly has clarified, and we need to be clear, actually the order is not a lay order. So it's neither a lay order nor a monastic order. And this can take some explanation to other Buddhists, how to categorize us. Uh, when order, and this is one of Bhante's, uh, as, as you know, a basic understanding, based on going for refuge. Uh, Bhante's understanding that um, going for refuge is what makes one a Buddhist. And our ordination is the witnessing of our going for refuge by a, a suitably experienced existing member of the order. So, going back to the lecture, another very important part of Bhante's thinking in that lecture is that the spiritual community consists of individuals. Now this is individual, individual in his, um, in a way defined by Bhante, like he, he, he wanted to, um, uh, he used particular terminology to make clear the difference between a group and a spiritual community. Um, and um, I hope that you are familiar with this. And if I will say a little bit about it, but I can't go into it fully, it is quite often said that this is uh, one of the most sort of uh, important teachings of Bhante to understand his under his teaching on the individual, the group, and the spiritual community. Something not to be skated over. Something not just to be looked at once in a foundation course, if it is studied in the foundation course. Something of tremendous depth, um, because it, uh, it, it asks us to understand what is the nature of ordinary human interactions, uh, the nature of our conditioning, the nature of our background, of our family, of our nation, the nature of, equally, the nature of what is spiritual community. And how is it different? How can we go forth from 
ordinary, an ordinary um, different kinds of groups, uh, or we may think that we're not members of groups, but of course when we think about it, we can't help but be members of various groups, willingly or unwillingly, into spiritual community. So, um, famously, Bhante speaks of the order as a voluntary association of free individuals. And order members love to quote and to misquote this. Uh, it's not exactly misquote, but possibly uh, we can use this to get out of awkward things that maybe we would rather um, think is a bit too challenging or doesn't quite uh, suit us. It's a voluntary association of free individuals come together on account of a common commitment to the three jewels. That is what the <coughs> order is. A voluntary association of free individuals come together on account of a common commitment to the three jewels. <coughs> when I arrived here the first evening at the order meeting that we're having after dinner, somebody said, and I hadn't heard this before, that Bhante had been saying once or twice that these days, rather than emphasising the individual, he would emphasise the community. Um, actually, uh, both are important, and I'm sure Bhante would recognise that. But this is probably to do with trends in society whereby... Uh, it can seem like we can have everything we need without talking to anybody else, ever. Uh, through the uh, click of a, a button on, you know, on, on the internet. Um, so, you, know, you can actually, um, it seems like you can learn about enlightenment over the internet. Just sit in your bedsit. Just, that's fine. Or just, you know, close your door. But it's not fine. It's not fine. And that's one of the things we're up against. But it's also one of the things that attracts people. And I've noticed this at the Birmingham Buddhist Centre where I really enjoy helping to lead introductory classes, courses, that in the Birmingham Buddhist Centre, um, twice a week uh, through the year, Every couple of months, when we start introductory classes, we will get uh, reliably 50, 60, 70 people just coming through the door, many of them young people. And I hope you're finding similar things at your centres. Young people are getting to sense um, the way things have gone, or is going, has so many dangers. And this is one of the dangers, um, individualism, or kind of consumerism. Um, so on and so forth. No doubt it also goes back to, in Britain, the Thatcher years and, um, you know, achieving and, and security and all of that. So, community is so important. And uh, in terms of community, in the lecture, and perhaps this is one of the things that touched me uh, in 1976 when I heard this recorded lecture, Bhante talks about this community, what he calls, in the highest sense. And in the highest sense, this is the transcendental community. 
So I want to mention this. Uh, Bantis says, this is, this, the transcendental community, is a part of the community which has not only gone for refuge, not only developed skillful mental states, which we saw that's what is it's all about, developing skillful mental states. Uh, the four right efforts, prevention, eradication, maintaining, developing, developing, maintaining. It's not only developed skillful mental states, not only become absorbed, that's a ton of shamatha for every ounce of insight, but, Bhante says, which has developed insight, which sees, this is from the lecture, at least for a moment, reality, face to face. Members of this community, Bhante says, have broken the first three fetters, as they are called, which bind man to conditioned existence. They are prepared to die in order that they may be spiritually reborn, Bhante says. And Bhante says, their practice of the path is wholehearted and not merely conventional. Their commitment is absolute without any reservations whatsoever. So that is the order some of us are part of and the rest of you have asked to join. That is what we are um, aiming for. We are aiming for stream entry and beyond and as Bhante spells out in What is the Western Buddhist Order? Uh, this is a quote. A stream entrant is... Yeah, what is a stream entrant? A stream entrant is someone, quote, with unshakable faith in the three jewels and who is perfect in morality. So that's what we're aiming for. Um... But uh, I wouldn't bother going around trying to find out who are the stream entrants. Um, and even, I don't think it works that way. It doesn't work that way that you're trying to think, am I a stream entrant? Is he a stream entrant? Is she a stream entrant? It works by deepening our going for refuge from what Bhante calls some effective to real uh, in fact, I'll be saying more about this, by participating in what definitely, I'll say something personal here, uh, I experience as uh, a collective going forward. It's amazing. Now, how we learn together, how we go forward together, how every year, every five years, every ten years, it's almost like a jolt something happens. It's like, oh, we know more. It's not literally that everybody uh, knows the same things. It's not literally that everybody has the same level of integration, the same level of positive emotion, even if we want to use the language of insight, the same insight. But we're so much affected by each other that if we participate, we will be carried on. We uh, along, we are being carried along, but of course, there's a, I'll come back to that as well. We're carried along, but only if we put ourselves in the right place with the right attitude. Yeah? So, that is, um, 
Yeah, there are these three orders of consciousness. The first order of consciousness is group consciousness. The second, in Bante's definition, is individual consciousness, and then Bante speaks about the third order of consciousness. And this he also talks is not a proper word. He says he can't really find a suitable word. It's so open to misunderstanding. The collective consciousness, the collective consciousness. And the order at its best is expressive. We experience the collective consciousness. And there, there is no notion of a separate self, um, isolated from others. The separate self is, dis- uh, is dissolved. And interestingly, I find, uh, <coughs> in conversation with Bhante um, several months ago, in connection with um, a, a current interest in um, practices um, focusing on anatta, no self, in the uh, order and even um, amongst mitras. Bhante just said in passing, oh yes, um, in Bombay, I think it was in the 60s, when uh, practicing the communication exercises, which if you hopefully you've all done, and if you haven't, ask uh, an order member who knows about them, and maybe if they're not done on your centre retreats, um, uh, see if they could be from time to time. When Bhante was doing the communication exercises, which he learnt from a, uh, a friend in Bombay, um, he said, yes, I remember there, that experience of going beyond self and other. He said he just remembered there, in that communication, yes, you could say, there was no self. Or there was some kind of experience of going beyond subject, object, self and other. So, what that showed me, it reminded me that for Bhante, this um, sort of uh, growth in understanding, growth in insight, uh, it is as, well, I'd say it is as likely to come uh, through participation in uh, community, spiritual community, maybe very, very strong uh, deep one-to-one communication, as well, of course, through other practices such as meditation. And Bhante... Um, speaks um, of the order, he uses various analogies like an orchestra where you, you know, you, you were part of something much bigger. Uh, we give ourselves to something much bigger. And of course, the thousand armed Avalokiteshvara, uh, which uh, now there are more, two th- there are more than 2,000 order members. So, 2,000 armed Avalokiteshvara. Um, each arm, each arm uh, expressing some kind of um, uh, deep collective um, understanding. So now coming a bit down to uh, earth, and one does have to come down to earth uh, a lot actually. Um, I'm very aware that it is my temperament to kind of... uh, I I enjoy the vision. Uh, I'm very aware that the actual uh, nitty-gritty of being in the order is it's not that 
sort of uh, always that easy to keep connection with that vision. And also, um, we don't, uh, when we, we may not think when we look at the order, when we look at order members, hopefully when we look at ourselves as well, that uh, we quite live up to this vision. And one of the places, because because in the lecture Bhante speaks about, well, what do he says, well, what do members of the spiritual community actually do? It is actually quite a practical lecture. What do you actually do? What do you do for yourself? What do you do for others? And Bhante makes the point in the lecture that spiritual life is not easy. And often we may feel like giving up. <coughs> we may feel like leaving the spiritual community. I remember hearing this that evening and you know, that was quite sort of impressed me. You, you, you know, you find something and then you feel like, you know, maybe for a while it's just what you want or you think it's just what you want. And then maybe it all becomes too hard or maybe you come disappointed, disappointed, feel like leaving. And uh, another thing is that you may not get on with the other people. Or you may get on with some of them, but not with some others. And unfortunately, those others keep on crossing your path. So what are you going to do? Try to avoid them? Obviously not, because if the spiritual community is full of people trying to avoid each other, <laughs> uh, something's going to get blocked. That sort of flow of positive energy is going to get blocked. So, one of the things that we do in the spiritual community, in the order, is we help each other, we support each other, we encourage each other. Um, we help each other to understand ourselves, each other. And another thing that we do, when we find another person difficult, we stick at it, we stay at it, we say, gosh, I do find you a bit difficult sometimes. <laughs> And they say, oh, that's interesting, tell me more. <laughs> let's go for a cup of tea and talk it over. Or let's, uh, that would be really good, let's bring it up in our Going for Refuge group and see if the others have got anything, any light to shed on it. Great. Let's not keep anything under the carpet. In fact, isn't this wonderful that we don't get on? <laughs> I had my only experience, actually, in the very first community, and I don't know whether Pai remembers, because he wasn't in the community, but he was around. Um, uh, yeah, I was just uh, in, in, in my very early 20s, and we were all in our early 20s, actually, the Mitras, uh, with David Mitra, who had set up the community along with our Loka. They were the two order members in the community, our Loka, who we're going to hear from the day after tomorrow. And one of the other Mitras, he knows this. Yeah, I don't know whether he'd be listened to a recording ever, but uh, he knows this. I hated him. I could not, I hated him, Abhaya. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I kind of, my whole body kind of went sort of like horrible kind of things going through me that 
I didn't know what they were because I was so alienated from myself. The only thing I could feel was hatred. I mean, almost that was true. I mean, I, I one of the things that uh, I, I first had to learn was why um, it took quite a while actually just to kind of experience my emotions more. But I could definitely experience hatred. And uh, it was really difficult. And we worked on it and he became a very, very dear friend. Hatred turns to love. So, so I had that experience. And uh, obviously other challenges, as we all do. So, uh, yeah, I've already mentioned in passing, going for refuge groups, uh, chapters. Um, Bhante has said at times, if the chapters are working, then the order is working. Another aphorism you might have heard, uh, an order member without a chapter is only half an order member. Okay. So as Bhante did say a few years later, you know, people don't have to say what he says completely literally. You know, don't, if you meet an order member without a chapter, don't dismiss them. Maybe ask them why they're not in the chapter. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've just got to mention in passing, Subhuti's uh, booklet, Remorse and Confession in the Spiritual Life. Surely every order member and every mitra who's asked, every mitra who's asked for ordination needs to know that inside out. Uh, if you don't, I strongly recommend it. And uh, I also wrote myself, when I was an order convener for some years, I gave a talk and I wrote it up, the five stages of spiritual life, the five stages of spiritual life in chapters and going for refuge groups, where I looked at how the five stages of, of, of mindfulness or integration, positive emotion, spiritual death, spiritual rebirth, and spiritual receptivity are, are kind of played out in the going for refuge group and chapter. <coughs> That's what actually uh, they are for. So, moving on towards the end, uh, Bhante says in the um, in his lecture in the meaning of spiritual community, in terms of what do the members do for each other, <coughs> they help each other in all possible ways not just spiritually. And I thought that was very interesting that Bhante said that. Because uh, on the one hand, it's very high-minded in a positive way. Because Bhante is talking about, he actually uses this language, uh, communicating with each other as spiritual beings. Uh, which means, uh, and as he says, uh, bringing out the best in each other. Because often, uh, worldly groups bring out the worst in each other. So the spiritual community is bringing out the best in each other. Um, so it is very high, in a sense, or very deep. But Bhante also says in that lecture, we help each other in practical ways. And uh, I would say that, I mean, that could be, for example, when our friend is ill, when they need to move house, uh, whatever it might be. Maybe they need uh, some money. Can we help them? Maybe their relationship has broken up. Can we uh, help them through that, to see it clearly, perhaps? But, well, no doubt, particularly from the point of view of the Dharma, how to respond to that. So we help each other practically. Kalyana Mitrata uh, has all these dimensions. And, and, and um, I would say at times that can be the most important thing. And uh, probably, 
I've seen the order at its best. I won't say at its worst, but also I've seen the order failing at times. I've failed at times. We don't always manage to do that, to go that extra kind of length to really help each other practically. But definitely that is part of that. And uh, sometimes we've talked about the order as our family. There's a lot to think about there because, um, especially these days when we have less communities, when we have less team-based right livelihood, when many of uh, many of us are living with partners, many of us are living with families, that's maybe that's all we know. Um, we need to um, consider very, very seriously, particularly if you, as you have asked for ordination, those are not order members really what it means to put the order centrally in your life. How to work out the priorities. Not at all being um, um, uh, lacking fidelity to your existing relationships, your children if you have them, your partners if you have them, your parents if you have them. But also to consider what would it mean to really take seriously helping uh, our friends in the in the order, and of course, our, our Mitra friends. So moving on, uh, quite quickly, but two or three areas just just to cover. I've talked about chapters, um, just to mention, uh, certainly in terms of the um, experiencing this uh, third order of consciousness, and also very, very importantly for the future of the order, coming together in large numbers. Um, whether it's on a retreat like this for order members, order gatherings uh, regularly, locally, regionally, nationally, internationally. And that is regarded, of course, as um, part of our spiritual practice. Um, And um, I wanted to say something here about the element of sadhana, (coughs) of the... um, the practice that we take at the time of ordination. And I was so um, interested and happy to hear Abhaya's references to um, Vajrasattva and uh, Guru Rinpoche, Padmasambhava, uh, in his talk yesterday. And Bhante said from uh, very early on that the uh, connection with the um, practice that we take at a time of ordination on a daily basis, um, as far as possible, is really um, key to the future of the order, the health of the order. And uh, there's not time to go into this a lot. There's been a lot of discussion amongst the preceptors and in the order about how to do that. Uh, And certainly remains the case, it remains the case, that um, somehow... The practice, sadhana, which can be taken to mean the meditation practice, a a, a core meditation practice, or it can mean practice in the whole of life, actually there's no difference. Because the meditation practice, um, the, the, the sadhana as meditation practice, only has meaning when it relates to the whole of life. And why that is so important is because through that practice... Um, with mantra, even if in fairly rare cases, but sometimes for good reasons, even if the 
daily practice is something like Anapanasati or Metabhavana, but more often it will be Shakyamuni Buddha or Manjugosha or Grindhara or, and so on. Certain practices, particularly, particularly those at the end of the puja, particularly those at the end of the puja that um, Bhante would particularly like us to um, think of at the time of ordination. That that um, connection, daily connection with the mantra, and as I say, even with the mindfulness of breathing, there will be the Shakyamuni mantra, because the, the meditation comes from the Buddha, uh, probably. Um, it would be the Shakyamuni mantra. That is our connection with the transcendental. So, spiritual community only is a spiritual community when we, in its members, have uh, tried to keep up a daily connection with what is highest and deepest and most true. And um, this um, this relates to what um, Bhante uh, a few times referred to as um, a suprapersonal force. It means that the order, it's not, uh, it's not just a collection, it cannot just be a collection of individuals as individuals. Um, it cannot just be our own power. However integrated we are, however positive we would like to be, um, the positivity is a positivity that goes beyond just um, an individual sort of um, willed, willed um, positive emotion. It starts with the will. It starts with the will and we open up to something that goes beyond it. Uh, in another language, a suprapersonal force, this is also bodhicitta. And bodhicitta brings out very well the bodhi element, that there is um, insight there. And uh, Sabuti recently has been speaking of the uh, um, that figure that we uh, meditate on, uh, preferably on a daily basis, even if only for a short time. He's, he's spoken in terms of transcendental devotion. Devotion, but transcendental devotion. It, it's devotion to uh, that 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 goes uh, beyond um, the limits of conditioned existence. And one of my favourite quotations from Bhante, from the Bodhisattva principle, uh, regarding the spiritual community, <coughs> Bhante says that it is the Bodhisattva who has always led the spiritual community. So who leads the spiritual community? Is it the public preceptors? No. Is it Bhante? Well, Bhante, not just as Bhante. No. It is the Bodhisattva. Capital B. Um, and, yeah, the Bodhisattva always has led and always will lead. That's what Bhante uh, writes in that uh, write-up of a talk, actually, he gave. The Bodhisattva Principle, Evolution and Transcendence. So finally, finally, <coughs> Bhante asks in that lecture, what do the members of the spiritual community do for the world? 
This is really important. It's not just about, it's not about creating some kind of bubble, Padmaloka bubble or Adhisthana bubble or whatever. What, what did we do for the world? Bhante asked that. But he does start by saying, the spiritual community is not obliged to do anything. <coughs> or members of the spiritual community, I should say, members, are not obliged to do anything. But they do. And why do they? They do so because they want to. Uh, well, of course, practically speaking, sometimes we have to make an effort. Go to the class. Don't feel like going to the class. Go to the chapter. Don't feel like going for it. Going to it. But often, uh, after making the effort, one's really, really glad. Yeah? So there is that will until it becomes, you know, well, in a way, until you become a stream entrant and beyond. Um, and, um, yeah, you do as far as possible out of inspiration, but it can't always be like that. And uh, we do two things. First of all, and this is wonderful language, um, we build a bridge. We build a bridge between the spiritual community and the world. So that, for example, is through our centres, our retreat centres, our public centres, our institutions such as Karana Trust. And um, any way that we can uh, build a bridge to... Uh, bring people into contact with the spiritual community because the spiritual community is always open. It's always welcoming uh, people to join. It wants people to join. It welcomes. It's friendly. Um, so that so that so that basically is uh, just so important. It's essential. It's an essential part of what the order is. So. Finally, 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 um, often as I travel around, I'm asked, how is Bhante? So often, so often. Because um, I'm fortunate these days to be one of the people who helps Bhante. I act as one of Bhante's secretaries. I help him, help him in other ways. I stay with him sometimes overnight. He's partially sighted, so he needs a bit of help there. He's more than 90. Uh, so it has to be said that when I'm staying with Bhante overnight, I see it, and I hope he sees it more than anything else, as just a friend staying with him. So we have a little community staying there, friendship, sitting with Bhante, sometimes talking, sometimes not talking. So how is Bhante? The short answer is that Bhante is really well. He's very, very well these days. Uh, he's mentally as um, sharp as uh, well. He's he's uh, countless times, a million times sharper than I will ever be. Uh, which is both uh, totally fascinating and delightful. And uh, well, that's what it is actually. It's fascinating and delightful. His memory is brilliant. His uh, awareness of what's going on, his awareness of people is absolutely brilliant. Uh, he listens to talking books. He's, uh, um, he, he sees people. Um, his sleep is good. So he's very, very well. And, and medically, he's very, very good for a 90-year-old. 
at the same time, it came up in our group, what will happen when Bhante dies? Are we ready? What will happen? It's a really important, important question. Um, well, I remember a talk that Bhante gave uh, when he was 60. So that's more than 30 years ago. And I think it was something like our first 20 years or something like that. No, well, it couldn't have been because it was 1985. Anyway, he gave a talk. I don't know what it was, what it was called. And uh, <coughs> it was quite a bit of a shock to me. It was quite clear at that time that Bhante said certain things preparing us for when he was no longer with us. Bhante was talking 30 years ago like, when I'm gone. And it was like, wow. Oh. You know, it's like, it's naive, of course, but that was naive. It was like, oh, that was a bit of a shock. So, Bhante's been preparing us for 30 years, and probably he's been preparing since the day he started the order and movement for handing on. And probably that is not a hyperbole. So, um, finally, um, I wanted to quote from what is the Western Buddhist order. It's like, so lots of things are in place, but really what it comes down to is us, and people like us. So reading the what is the Western Buddhist order yesterday afternoon, um, I, 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 I saw this, that at the end of that interview, Bhante speaks of the, uh, he says that in the order, I quote, there is something not really definable. There's a certain atmosphere or attitude that is found in the FWBO and nowhere else. Uh, he says that early on, actually. But uh, later on, he says, there is something about the movement, the order, and even about me that is not easily definable. And we definitely got a sense of that yesterday when Abhaya spoke about Bhante. And then this is for us. This is the last sentence of the talk. Everyone will need to take care of that rather mysterious, indefinable spirit that gives the movement life and energy. So that's what we need to take care of, and that is what the order, that indefinable uh, spirit is, and may the order continue and flourish for many, many years um, into the future. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you.